0: don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome back Paul Dous to the podcast.
1: Welcome back Paul. Hey James great to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: yeah it's great to talk to you again For those that aren't familiar with you you know you've been on quite a few podcasts we talk about frameworks we talk about decision making risk, all those great things. You're also the founder of Co asset management. Although super brief, can you give us uh, an introduction to yourself?
1: Yeah, look, I've I've got um, you know almost thirty years of experience in engineering, maintenance, um, reliability, and more recently in more strategic and holistic asset management. Um, you know, CEO asset management. It what we're what we're doing there is providing uh, a framework, a management framework for leadership that's based on first principle decision-making. So it's a bit of a bit of an interesting take on asset management. Um, so that's what I'm doing. Also launching the Asseteers, uh, which is uh, an asset management community specifically geared as a safe place for leaders to be able to talk about those challenges that we have in asset management.
0: All right. Excellent. And you know, some of those challenges is decide on where we want to invest our time and resources. That goes back to, like you said, principles, decision making, understanding risk, all these different things. There are some challenges, though, on how do we prioritize which one, which one is, which of these initiatives we should be tackling. You have you seen that type of thing in industry before?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a primary challenge. Right. So. You know, and I think it goes to the strategic organizational goals of the, of the organization. So you know, what do we need to deliver uh, in terms of value from our assets and how can we do that with the resources that we have? And I like to call the resources, I like to look at it both ways. We, we, our resources are both vast um, in that we have lots of resources, we've got lots of people, we've got lots of money that we invest uh, and they're also scarce in terms of, well, we, we have our budgets and we have our people. So I think it's healthy to look at our our resources, financial people or otherwise, from both those perspectives, especially when we're trying to make those hard decisions on how to allocate and reallocate those resources. Because, you know, at the end of the day, from a leadership perspective, I think that's the job to be done is to direct those resources to deliver the most value from our assets um, with the fewest resources. And uh, that's the primary challenge and the job to be done of asset management.
0: Yeah, it is. And how do we get the most value? And I think when we talk about the initiatives that we're working through, right? Like most people are listening to this are probably thinking about, you know, lean manufacturing, 5S, Six Sigma, it could be talking about maintenance or role class maintenance or reliability initiatives. Could be looking at capital and how do we better manage our capital. Now, all those practices already exist in our organization. They may not be where we want them to be, but they already exist. So when we're prioritizing these initiatives, do we have to look at, you know, what we're doing okay or good? Then talk about what we, can we do better? And what do we need to get to best in class? Does that influence our decision making as well? And where we going to prioritize work? Or is it more of, you know, we think this is an easy win, but it's not going to really bump any of these up or it's not really going to hit our strategic goals, but it's an it's easy win, so let's just do that. How do we evaluate all that, kind of pick where we got to go?
1: Yeah, it's tough. I, I think it's multifaceted because on on one hand, there's some, you know, improvements and in initiatives that we can do Just to strictly increase the capabilities of our people. And that's, that's fine. You know, I'm thinking of some lean practices and, and whatnot. And then there's, you know, our, our business processes themselves. You know, how good are we at those business processes? And I like to think in terms of good, better, and best practice. You don't have to be best practice in everything, but if you truly gonna, deliver, you know, excellent results. Um, You need to be really good in many of them. So I like to have that conversation. What's the difference between a good good practice and best practice in in areas and practices like like maintenance? And, you know, I think we need to have those discussions because there might be value at stake there. And I see a lot of organizations with, you know, they, they aim for good practice and they're spending time and effort trying to achieve that good practice and they might have their struggles even to do that. But I think we also need to talk about if you're already doing that practice, what's the value at stake between having a good practice versus having a better practice or maybe even a best practice. So if there's no value to be gained, then of course you don't do anything different and you don't need to change and improve. But if there is value at stake, um, then, you know, what's the, what's the cost and benefit, going and uh, and getting and maturing to that to that best practice so you can reap that additional value
0: yeah and I think I think that's important is is there any extra value in improving this practice so take reliability for an instance there is a diminishing return on reliability efforts do we really need to become best in class in that or is where we're at good enough, or maybe we just got to go part way to best in class. And that will help you determine, you know, the value you're leaving, where you should be
1: prioritizing, right? It's um, the law of diminishing returns. Yeah. I, you know what? It, that law of dis- diminishing returns is interesting because that's one of the things that I've kind of changed my mind on. Um, you know, intuitively we kind of believe that there is a, a law of diminishing returns. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's true in the sense of, you know, your, your productivity, um, if you define as your cost per unit produced, if you're in a production, um, environment. Yeah, there, there is, you know, uh, the, it's harder and harder and you have to spend more and more time and effort and money and resources to get that last bit. But there's an interesting counter to that. And I've done a lot of performance benchmarking over my career and. Um, I'm referring to a a curve I call the beauty. Um, now it's actually McKinsey and Company's, uh, power curve, but it's interesting because they plot on this curve the performance of, of, it's kind of a continuum of all of, you know, all of the organization's, um, operational performance. And it's interesting because the curve kind of goes up at, you know, up and to the right, of course, but, it also curls up higher at, for those organizations that are in the top quartile or top decile. So meaning, you know, your, your true top performers and, and that curve, maybe we can put it in the show notes, but that curve kind of represents, you know, an argument that it's not actually um, diminishing returns because there's no shortage of improvements. There's no end of improvements that you can do. Once you reach a certain level of maturity or solve some problems, in one area, you can apply those resources that are freed up to solve problems in another area. So it's actually a compounding positive effect. So, you know, I used to think as well that, you know, there's this diminishing returns on reliability practices and whatnot. But when you consider all the practices of, of asset management, of course, it's all about value delivery. You know, it's, it's actually true that those best operating organizations are creating more value and they have a culture already one of continuous improvement that they continue to raise the bar and they're actually able to do that so that runs a bit counter to what um, you know how a lot of people think about about you know that that law of diminishing returns and you know I, i've seen that a lot throughout my career where you know people and leaders think oh well You know, that's not worth doing because of that law of diminishing returns. And I'm just not sure that's always true. I mean, maybe in some circumstances it is. But if you're solving problems in one area and, you know, using the gains that you make to invest, you know, and reallocate those resources to other areas, that's that compounding effect. And I think that's very important to continuous improvement. And I, I agree 100% with that. For
0: example, you know, if you want to implement a world-class maintenance program or a reliability improvement initiative, you know, you're probably pretty reactive. You need to create some breathing room to be able to focus on some of that stuff. So you might focus on root cause analysis, PM optimization, on select assets, eliminate some of those problems so you can free up time to continue to problem solve and do some of those other things. Um, definitely agree with that. I think the challenge for me when I start thinking about it is, Yeah, we can always make those improvements, but then is it worth that value? Is that value worth all that effort to go that incremental bit? Or as you put it, is it better to redeploy those resources to a practice that there's a lot more room for improvement or that we
1: can get quicker wins in or something of that nature? Right. And of course there's the age old question of where do you start, right? So if you've got all these opportunity or potential opportunities you know, to, to change and improve, well, where do you start? And that's, that's a difficult question to, to answer. Um, I think it, it, it depends largely on the maturity of the organization. Um, you know, we all, we all want the results, these great business results. What And we can agree on that. What we don't generally agree on is what it takes to achieve those um, results and where and how to deploy our resources And, you know, on one hand, I think it's not that important. Um, you know, just start, right? So pick a spot where you think there's an area of need, work on it and improve and then decide, you know, what's the next area. And that's, you know, hopefully you'll have kind of a a larger roadmap to kind of work from. I I don't think it's, I don't think it's a showstopper to pick the exact right place to go because the, the less mature you are and the more reactive as an organization you are, I think, number one, there's more opportunity. Um, but what I like to do for for those organizations that are quite reactive is, especially in maintenance, but not restricted to maintenance, is focus on the capabilities of your people. Right. Because what you're really trying to do, uh, and I'll use maintenance um, as an example here, is to free up capacity. Sure, we want the cost savings of having, you know, savings and or value adds of having a higher, higher production and reliability and lower cost and all that good stuff. But, you know, in between there, what you're really doing, like if, if you're in a position where your organization is stuck in reactive mode, where you have difficulty doing your proactive PMs and, and whatnot, because there's lots of reactive work going on, you know, the first priority is to stop the bleeding, right. And to, and to free up capacity so that your people can work on higher value added activities. So instead of, you know, fixing the pump that broke, um, which you can't ignore that forever, that has to be done. But higher value activities would be the more proactive ones to prevent the pumps and other equipment from failing. But you really need to work hard to kind of grind yourself out of that hole that you're stuck in. And, you know, there's different ways of doing that. Different techniques and, and different business processes and whatnot, but you know, I think I think job number one for for organizations that are of lower maturity is to really focus on the capability of of the people to solve problems, not just you know put it back together with duct tape and baling twine. Um, I'm from the prairies, so I, uh, I use farming references, but you know we, we've all kind of been there, right? You just kind of kick the problems down the road and eventually you're juggling too many of these problems and then and then you get more reactive and then your reliability starts to go south. So I think the real key is to focus on the people's ability to solve problems, which frees up resources, you know, time, money, materials to apply to that next set of problems and really just dig your way out.
0: All right. Excellent. So, you know, slowly we're
1: going to build our capability of
0: people. We're going to start chipping away at these problems, we're going to dig our way out. Once we got a little bit of stability and now we have time to think about all the various things that we could improve, how do we prioritize those? Because, for example, we could focus on lean manufacturing and that will give us certain advantages from our production standpoint. But a lot of the resources that are going to be dedicated to that are also the same ones that might have to work on how do we improve our capital process or our maintenance process or a maintenance system. And on top of that, there's all these other changes going on within the organization, not just production related or maintenance related, but maybe HR related or something of that nature. Have we prioritize where we're going to invest our time and efforts here because there's always endless amounts of these types of improvements that people want to do.
1: Yeah, no question. So I think first and foremost, you need to have a laser focus that anything you do, or specifically do differently, needs to be aligned with the um, strategic organizational objectives and goals. So, you know, if if you're if you have an organization where you you have those those goals, and look, my, in my experience, most organizations have pretty clear strategic organizational objectives and goals. Um, the the difficulty is the deployment of those down through. The organization through operations and and I mean big O operations in that context. Um, the the challenge though is to make sure that everything we do aligns to those um, as closely as possible. So yeah, sure we've got a lot of potential ideas here, but we need to deliver on those strategic organizational goals. So testing the alignment of those to our improvement initiatives is key, right? And we have to, secondly, we need to make sure that there's value in it for us, right? So the juice is worth the squeeze. So, um, you know, the, the cost and effort of allocating our resources to those initiatives need to deliver the value um, that will contribute to those strategic organizational objectives. And then the third thing I would say is the resources, So we need to be careful to not bite off more than we can chew that yes. So we need, we need to be clear on who does what and who contributes to what, but you know, we don't want to be left with a situation where we've got a hodgepodge of different types of initiatives and the organization can't manage it all. You know, Um, I used that juggling reference earlier, you know, if we're juggling all these balls, eventually you know, they they might fall right, especially if you're not actually solving problems. So, I think being crystal clear about about how the initiatives contribute directly to to the um, the you know the strategies, the objectives, and ultimately the plans that is important. Now, you mentioned you know what types of initiatives that we might have. Myself personally, I I, I tend to want to kind of loosen my grip on the specific business processes and or, you know, practices and techniques, you know, like the lean practices and whatnot, because um, those are just a, a means to an end, right? That's just the way, that's just the how of what we're doing. We need to focus on the, on the, what value are we delivering? And if those practices contribute, then, then we can, But again, we have to be careful um, in allocating our resources because we don't want to overload people. Um, I'll tell you a little story here. I I was working at a utility in Australia, and I was leading a process management project or program, setting up a program. And it was great because it was one of the five strategic priorities for the entire group operation. So, you know, I thought, great, we're going to have great support. And we're going to get all the resources that we need. It was obviously a high priority for the organization. And once we got going though, we kind of struggled because people were asked to do this program in addition to their kind of, you know, normal, normal roles and other initiatives and all on the corner of their desk. Right. And so we were struggling. We were like, well, why are we struggling so much? Because this is clearly a priority. And so there was was a couple groups. One was an organizational change management group and the other was the business improvement group. They worked together and they actually counted all the change initiatives that were going on in the organization. And they came up to a number that was like 250 and were like, oh my gosh, well, no wonder, right? And look, those 250 weren't all individual kind of projects. Um, But, you know, those were discrete changes that were, you know, trying to be managed. But the truth was, There was way too much change going on. The organization wasn't managing it at all all well. And as a result, you know, we started things and couldn't get things completed. And so, you know, again, that goes back to the be clear and be honest and authentic with how the how your resources are actually um, deployed. So I'm not sure if I answered your question on how do we decide. But, you know, I think, number one, it needs to. It needs to have value. Number two, it needs to align to the strategic objectives and goals. Number three, be honest with how you're deploying your resources. And again, I'm not so specific on the actual practices because there's a bunch of different things we can do there. You know, within your existing practices, you can just be better at it. You know, uh, for example, uh, at a different utility, our root cause analysis. Right. Well, look, our, our business process said, here's how we do it. Right. But it ended up being, the challenge was, how many of them were we actually getting done? And the organization would really only investigate the really big items, right? So we missed out on learning and preventing events, because we didn't do enough root cause analysis, or apply the right technique, even though, you know, our standards and business processes were fine, there's nothing wrong with them. And th- and that's the case of a work rate, right? We just weren't doing enough of them. And so... I think there's a bunch of different ways that you can improve. One is to do more work. One is to improve your business processes. Um, another is, as you've mentioned, introduce and or improve other techniques like lean techniques. But I think you need to be very careful about, about how you choose them and, and make sure the organization can actually take that on.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio be sure to check out Iridicio's IBL Blended Learning for Maintenance and Reliability Professionals. This SMRP accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com Yeah, and I think, you know, if we take a step back and start looking at these initiatives and we consider these three things you mentioned, what is the value of the improvement? Does, is it aligned with strategic objectives? How are resources deployed? If we can look at that and kind of take all that into context, that's going to allow us to make a much better decision than just thinking that this one practice or this one improvement is going to drive because right. When we talked about, or when you mentioned some of your examples there, you know, 250 different changes going on. It's not even a resource problem at that point. It's a change problem at that point. Yes. People can only accept so much change at a time.
1: Right. And, you know, you'll see it at the, you know, lower levels of the organization, the front line, you know, and anyway, you'll, if you ask people in the organization, if you're aligned, you always get the head nods. Yes. But then if you start asking people, you know, do you have competing priorities and are you able to get all of, all of the things done that you're asked to do, that's when you start seeing the cracks appear, right? And so that's kind of lower levels. At the senior levels, it also happens, and I'll tell you a quick little story here. So I was working with a utility in the uh, UK and they were having all sorts of big business challenges. I won't get into the specifics, but what they did was they actually brought their, their leadership team to, to a soccer stadium. Like, so it was an offsite kind of meeting. And they said, okay, so the vice president or whatever said, here's, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you what the strategic organizational objectives are. You people within, this is mostly operations, but different plants and, and whatnot represented different business units. You're going to put all of your initiatives all the stuff that you want to do on the table and we're going to talk about it and we're going to see how well aligned we are and the stuff that falls off the table is either, you know, it's not do now, it's do later or in the future. Right. doesn't mean it's not a good idea. Yep. It's just, it doesn't align well for right now and, and now meant kind of, it wasn't just this month, this year, this was more of a, A three to five year kind of conversation so a bit more strategic and it was fascinating because what what happened was they got agreement explicit agreement that these are the things that are really going to help us achieve those goals and here's the things that might be nice to have but aren't aren't necessary at least not right now and the other thing that did is it stopped a bunch of skunkworks? Now, skunkworks is those unauthorized, you know, changes initiatives that people love to do. Um, but they're not, they're not authorized, maybe, and yeah. they may or may not be, be strong contributors to achieving those strategic goals. So, you know, I think that's important too is, you know, and look, I'll, I'll I also have a time and place for Skunk Works if you allow for it and expect it. You know, Google's kind of famous. I think they've changed a bit lately, but they used to encourage their people to spend a certain period of their time on on whatever they wanted, right? But we can't afford that a lot of times in in asset management and in our operations. So anyway, those Skunk Works, that's, you know, you you don't want too many of those because that then people aren't focusing on the right things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I agree, there should be some time for those skunk work type activities, but that time needs to be built in and not taken away from the larger organizational objectives because then it erodes our ability to make those improvements and free up time to drive other improvements, right? It's one of those challenges where we want to drive innovation,
1: but we can't have it prevent us from moving forward on our key objectives. Right. You know, there's there's another thing I'll add to that. So, and that's the visibility of all the activities going on, right? So, look, we've got our business processes, um, and our practices, but for those, for those spe- specifically for the change initiatives, those need to be visible. Now, I, in my strategy deployment practice, I like to use a lean technique uh, called Hoshin Cannery. and you don't have to use this technique. There's other ones. Um, I like this one because it shows kind of your your strat your medium term strategies, objectives, which are your initiatives and your um, how you measure. Are you doing enough of the good things to move the dial on on the value that you want um, and all the way to plans? And it kind of shows that on one page. Um, I guess this would also be reflected in our strategic asset management plans, at least at a higher level. You know, here's all the things that we are taking on uh, in terms of changes and improvements. Now, I think both these are more focused on the, the dynamic portions of change and and less so on the, well, you know, here's the business practices that we do each and every time. But, you know, even within there, you can, as I kind of suggested, you can make changes to your, your business processes, either change, you know, that, that volume of work rate, um, you can, you know, do more of the same is what I'm saying um, and get benefits that way. Or you can actually change how how you um, change your business processes. So go from good to better or best, right, and improve those. But they should all be reflected somewhere. And, you know, um, we talk about smart goals, right? Um, MIT has a slightly different um, term for that, and it's one I like better. It's called FAST. And the F in fast is for frequent. So we need to talk about our goals and our our change initiatives and our our measures, our performance measures. We we need to understand the dynamics of our complex systems and how we're actually influencing things, or I guess failing to influence things and and take action that way. So, you know, I think I think having a, a visible strategy is very important to the organization, and you should always refer to it, you know, at the start of every meeting, start high, start high level, and then zoom down to kind of field level where you're having your discussions. And I think, I think that's important to always keep in mind kind of those higher level strategies and objectives.
0: So with that, if we're having those frequent conversations, we're monitoring progress against our goals, targets for all these initiatives. Does it make sense at some point to say, we're not seeing what we thought we were going to see with this initiative? Let's pause. Or should we continue pushing it through? And the reason I ask that is because I understand it doesn't deliver value. You know, why are we spending time doing it? But if organizations have a history of starting and stopping initiatives, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we don't want to continue to feed in that because then it's just a flavor of the month and we don't get support to actually make these things successful. So there might be a period where we don't see those improvements or results for a period of time, but should we push through anyways?
1: That's a great question, right? Because we've got all sorts of initiatives that are kind of in flight. Um, And I think think the answer is both. So I think there's a time and place to stop um, initiatives that aren't working. Um, And then there's a time and place to continue and push through to make sure that you get done. And, and, you know, this is kind of a double-edged sword, right? So, you know, I've seen, I'm not sure where to start here. I've seen kind of medium long-range plans that got kind of turned over each and every year, right? And we didn't execute everything that we said we'd do. And there was a lot of churn. There was a lot of wasted um effort, you know, um, and that's not that's not good for the organization. You wanna you want to finish what you start. But on the other hand, we should leave it open to to stop and eliminate things because if and I, I see this in two ways. One is 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 was it the right idea, you know, the, the right business case, and specifically our assumptions that underpin that business case. If our assumptions were wrong. Right. Then I think that's a, that's a case for, for stopping initiatives that you've already started. Right. The other piece to that is, of course, execution. It wasn't the wrong thing to do, but we are having trouble executing on it. And that's a little bit different. I think in most cases, you probably want to push through there, but you know, there probably may be instances, you know, circumstances where you can't resolve those challenges. And if that's the case, you know, you probably need to stop that too. I think we also need to be cognizant of the sunk cost fallacy. You know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, pressure and sometimes reputation at stake for finishing things we start. Um, but a case can be made that, you know, any, any costs or effort that you've already incurred, you know, you really still need to look at that from a, from a future perspective from now, you know, do we want to sink more into that just to kind of get it across the line? Um, Versus, I guess, the opportunity cost of not, you know, redirecting those resources to maybe a a higher value added change or initiative, right? So it's really that comparison of, of, you know, where do we want to allocate our time and effort and what value do we expect out of that? So that's another thing that I've learned. I, I, you know, used to defer back to, well, if you start something, you finish it, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. And, you know, this can, you know, work can be stopped at any point. In kind of the initiative life cycle, right? So from the conception to the development, um, or the implementation, right? So I think we need to be, you know, a little bit brave in some of those areas and not be afraid to stop things that aren't working out for us, or if there's opportunities to deploy those, those resources, uh, in a more productive fashion. I think
0: that's 100% critical because there are times where, like you said, Maybe we had some different information. Maybe we learned things that we went through, and it's not worth continuing this on. But it all goes back to, it depends, right? It's how do you prioritize initiatives? How do we decide when to start or stop? All these questions we've been talking about, it depends. It depends on the context of the organization, the current value of making that improvement. Is it can still align with our strategic objectives? How are resources deployed? Are they able to support this properly? It circles back to all these things again, over and over.
1: Right. So I think, you know, I think that's part of the job of leadership and management is to be constantly assessing that. Right. Um, You know, you kind of mentioned about the assumptions that go into, you know, human nature, we want to be certain about things. Right. And so, you know, in our business process, sorry, our business cases for these initiatives, you know, hopefully we've kind of listed our assumptions, but, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty around, you know, our knowledge. Certainly we go forward with our knowledge to make decisions. But one of the things I've learned is you need to hold up, you know, side by side with knowledge is our uncertainty around that. So and a lot of our assumptions have a degree of uncertainty in, in them. And it's important to understand, you know, here's what we know or believe to be true. And here's our uncertainty in that which is not a natural instinct it's it's that kind of probabilistic thinking that actually takes you know takes training and, and skill development to actually um get good at but i think that's part of the decision making process is being honest with yourself and the organization about where are our uncertainties because that's what what happens if if you're assuming all these things are going to you know become true or remain true and they don't um i think that's where you get get into trouble where um, and I think that's why, you know, change is hard. And I think that's why we don't often get the full value of what we expect in our change initiatives. I know, I know years ago, um, well, it's kind of common knowledge that 80% of reliability improvements fail to achieve their stated goals. And more recently and broadly, well, I think that's still a true statement, but you know, digital transformations, you know, McKinsey uh, and company and and others research that they've done have, has, has revealed that, you know, 70% of digital transformations are failing to achieve their stated, you know, um, value goals. Now that doesn't mean that there's no value provided. It just means that they're, they're not delivering on what they said they do. And for me, that's, you know, all that stuff is a recipe for, for, you know, mediocrity, right? That's why companies get stuck in the middle is because they're trying all these changes And they're not really good at it or can't get it done or had false assumptions. And the combination is a result of not adding value. So, you know, I think that's a big part of it as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's, you want to sit back and do a few things well, and then expand on it. Don't try and do a lot of things. Okay. I think to start when we start with these initiatives, long-term, you know, we can debate on, debate on some of those finer details but i think you know do a couple of those initiatives right generate the value get people on board and then from there you can start to expand it because now you got the expertise and skills to make it happen
1: absolutely and again depending on your maturity you know the number one priority might be able to might be to carve out capacity right um in order to do other better things but and and where you start you know, can depend, right? And sometimes it's not that important where you start, just that you do.
0: Yep. Well, Paul, I think we've given our listeners a lot to think about on how they prioritize their initiatives. You know, a lot to think about too on, do we pause? Do we stop? We limit how much we're doing at a given time because these are all considerations they have to make. So I want to thank you for taking the time to chat chat about this with us today. But before we go, where can people find out more about you, the Asceteers... CEO, all these great things
1: you got going on. Yeah, so I'm. You can find me on LinkedIn, and please reach out to me. Um, the The Asseteers' uh, is website is the Asseteers, so t h e a s s e t e e r s dot org. And um, as I said, we'll be launching that. And so look us up there, and then CEO Asset Management. At SCIOAM.com.
0: All right, excellent. I'll put all those links to the show notes while I'll dig up that power curve from McKinsey. We'll get that in there too. Paul, once again, thank you for taking the time. Thanks, James. It's been fun. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iriditio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.